My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm your host, Jason P. Woodbury, and this week on the show, I am joined by Andrew Kiduri and Mark Gowing of Longform Editions. Home to extended and experimental works by previous transmissions guests like William Tyler, Carlos Nino, Angel Batdawid, and Sam Prekop, plus many more avant-garde composers and music makers. You're hearing one of them behind me, uh, Omni Gardens, with their track Divine Mother. It's tempting to think of long-form editions as a record label, but Andrew and Mark consider it more of an online gallery for these extended musical works. Every two weeks, they upload four new entries, and uh, on June 15th, the same day this podcast is released, they've got a new batch up over on Bandcamp. Mark and Andrew have a long history in the music industry and are record collectors and have been for uh, forever. And they joined me to talk about the shifting landscape for for independent music uh, and discuss the way long form works and how they crafted it as a sustainable project for both the artists who contribute and the two of them who run it. We talk about the process of deep listening as well and get into a lot more. I had so much fun hanging out with Mark and Andrew, and I'm so glad that you're here with us on this episode of Transmissions. Like long-form editions, I hope that each one of these episodes offers you a chance to chill out, uh, maybe not you know, doom scroll so much or whatever, immerse yourself in a conversation and hopefully leave feeling a bit refreshed as i often do after finishing up these talks i know there's a lot of competition for your ears and uh, i'm very honored that you've taken the time to press play on the show all right enough yapping let's get into the conversation here is aquarium drunkard transmissions with our friends long form editions Hey Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now, Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. 
That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Well, I appreciate the two of you taking time to join me on Transmissions, and I'm really excited to to get uh, inside of your heads when it comes to this to, to this project. Um, the concept for listeners who might be unfamiliar of long-form editions is that Every two months, you guys put up four pieces. Uh, is that, do I got that right? That's it. That's right. And these pieces are longer. Uh, longer being a term that is uh, uh, kind of malleable, right? I mean, some of the stuff is 15 minutes, some of it's 20, some of it is an hour. Uh, what's, the long, what's the longest piece that you guys have, have released, you know? Yeah, the, the longest piece at the moment is 71 minutes. It's Gavilan Rainer. Russum's trans feminist symphonic music. So that one just pipped, that's from our current edition, and that one just pipped Matthew David from edition three. I think he was 60 plus. And there's also a Rima Rimba track that's about 60 as well. Um, I, I, I was reading a great interview that you, Andrew, did with uh, Philip uh, Sherburn from, uh, from Pitchfork. And, and I think you mentioned that Matthew David wanted to go even longer, right? He said, can I do two hours? Is, is that right? Yeah. I mean, he was one of the early adopters of long-form editions. He just loved the idea straight away. And his first email back was, is, is two hours too long? I said, sure. I mean, I didn't see why not. I mean, I guess that's up to the listener's endurance and, and time and listening. And then, yeah, he just said, he said, look, I think I'll just go a little bit shorter and I think he went for just just over an hour there so so yeah I mean so, the sky's the limit we just had to get Bandcamp to increase the the the, the limit of the file that we could upload <laughs> oh wow wow how did, how did how did you do that did you just did, did you run into the problem like while you were in the preparation phase or did you know that it was a problem before uh you you had a track that required that change it was Matthew's track that created that issue but it was very easily solved Bandcamp, wonderful platform uh there's an australian correspondent will evans who just said yeah i've just i've just upped it to two gig so there you go fine. we we should be fine from here on in they've, well, been, they've you, been amazingly supportive as well they they seem to be i mean um you know a, a, as of the time of this recording there has been some uh, semi-recent uh, changes in the corporate structure at Bandcamp, and uh, and I know that that's not something that anybody has a hundred percent an idea of how that will change things or won't change things, you know, in the long term. But it seems like for now, uh, I mean, Bandcamp of all the digital platforms, there there's there is no one better right now. There is no one more artist friendly. I would totally agree. When we thought of this project. And we thought about how to make the infrastructure easy for everyone and how to kind of lob into a, an inbuilt community of people who are looking for different music. It was Bandcamp straight away. Uh, it was never yeah. going to be streaming services that offered that, especially for a project of this nature, which, you know, is, is not friendly to streaming services. 71-minute pieces are just not in their interest to foreground. So, yeah, Bandcamp has a really great structure. Um, I love the way that they kind of have this uh, even playing field when it comes to music. You you can find the music that you want to find. And if you're interested in delving into what Bandcamp is offering, 
week in, week out, you'll make some amazing new discoveries as well. I think their editorial site is fantastic for that as well. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, and they've done a great uh, they've done a great feature on on long form as well. Um, it's always interesting, right, to to take these um, in the in the in the articles that I read about the label. Uh, most people have sort of like, okay, we're going to pick a few that we want to talk about specifically. And I started thinking about that in terms of transmissions. And and as I was listening through the catalog, I realized. Angel Batdawid, William Tyler, uh, Carlos Nino, Sam Precop, all people who've appeared on transmissions who've also got uh, their own their own long form. So the 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 breadth stylistically that you're all exploring is 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 pretty wide open, it seems like. It seems like there what what kind of rules are there when it comes to this project in your head? Do you have any rules other than it's gotta be a long form piece and this is is, is that it? What 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 are the what are the lines that you sort of draw? That's a good question. I mean the, the simple answer is that we just follow our noses, you know, we're mm-hmm. expansive music listeners and we have a little bit of a wish list, a fulfillment Option for us, we, we approach artists that we've always loved, like Sam Prekop I've been listening to since The Sea and Cake. Um, mm-hmm. And when he started making synth-based music, I was like, hey, I would love to approach him. And, and he was one of the most friendly and open to the idea um, that we've encountered um, and has been really prolific and, and easy to work with. We're actually looking to release a second piece from him really soon. But, yeah, we just follow our noses. So it's people that we have worked with, people that we would like to work with. And then um, what this space opens up for Mark and I is just the chance to discover new music. And so it puts us in that position where we're we're hungry again to discover new music. And I think that Long Form Editions was born out of a little frustration from Mark and I about what we're listening to and how we were getting it. And we just kind of wanted to become active listeners again. Yeah, I mean, we ran a record label for 15 or so years and we forged a lot of relationships with artists and we went through the whole process. And at the end of it, which we kind of found ourselves at the end of it, it was strange because it came to a kind of its own natural end and we found ourselves in this position where we felt a little bit obsolete in space. Well, I did anyway. I might be speaking for Andrew there, but... um, you know, it was quite clear that streaming had taken over record sales and um, this practice of running a label had become an intermediary service rather than a, a curatorial one or even, a you know, it used to be um, about manufacturing distribution and kind of creating awareness around records and, and communicating with, with, a, with an audience. And we found that kind of evaporating as the algorithms took over from everything we had tried to build. And yeah. And long-form editions were born out of a response to that moment. You know, we, we kind of responded to that, that loss of, of our label kind of agency, in a sense, and said to each other, how do, we, how do we use this? How do we take this moment and turn it into something really positive? Rather than just kind of whine about the days gone by, how do we sort of create a, something that fits this contemporary world that, that is ultimately contemporary and that that's what I got really focused on it's kind of the learning of the great people gone before us um always reminds me to kind of try to make the best of the tools that are available and this yeah. long form editions for me personally was about trying to make the best of 
tools available to us. So the tools are these streaming services, these digital platforms, this kind of internet-based music that no longer has a packaging requirement. Okay, packaging requirement gone. That means no albums, no singles, no duration requirements. Let's crack it open. Let's crack it open. And I think every project that Mark and I have worked on, when we're doing preservation, there's a real greater spirit of industry about what we do. I mean, Mark and I love to, to work together and we just found that the things we were working on together, as Mark mentioned, were bogging down that spirit of industry, that spirit of creativity that I think yeah. a lot of labels start labels because they, they want that engagement and they want to be a part of that process. But when you're continually bogged down with distribution and all the emotional and relational labour that comes into promoting a record and so forth, which we still engage in to a certain degree, but we, we just boiled everything down to the essence of why Mark and I actually work together, which is that, that spirit of, of industry. And we're up to 100 releases shortly in four years. And yeah. I, I think that that's really where it, where it stands for us. I mean, we're not quantity over quality, but at the same time, I think that we are working in a, in a space where we can create something of substance and, mm. and meaning and I think that that's really valuable. But some of the traditional label cycles just bog that process down. And I think, you know, look at your Twitter feed, Jason, you'll see that people are just complaining about how long it takes to, to produce a, something on vinyl uh, and they don't want to go to CD and that's fine. But I would rather people on Twitter feeds who run labels talk to me about the amazing music that they're releasing rather than the issues the that surround it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that was the thing that we realised after, because we did run, when we were running the label, we did get bogged down in the mechanicals. You know, we, we got... Of course. You know, you get bogged down in the cost of the mechanicals and the investment and time and the weight and the chipping and, the, you know, the distribution and it's all mechanical and then the music becomes a little bit secondary and it's really difficult to keep your eye on it. And, and then you start to sort of check yourself because you're starting to question whether a piece of music is worth spending the money on. And that's the slippery slope. And that's where we sort of started hating ourselves. It was like, oh, we're judging whether or not we love, you know, we would have a record we loved, a piece of music we adored, but then we would be saying to ourselves, is this worth spending another $6,000 on or $10,000 on? Like, is it, right. is it, are we going to get it back? Is the big, yeah. the big problem. And, and I guess, what we realised at the end of all of that was that what we always wanted to do is just create opportunities for artists. And this, this model allowed us to get back to the, the core of it without the financial restraints and without all of the mechanical restraints and just be able to get back to the purity of creating proper opportunities for artists. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I find so interesting about it is because, like, on one hand... I. Um, I co- I come from the 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 physical world of, of I've come from the the physical release world. You know, I I, I uh, worked in record stores and I and I've and I've helped you know to get vinyl out there and I have too much way too much vinyl and all that stuff. So I love I love the physical aspect of it. But um, one thing that I I do find increasingly frustrating, uh, along with the production costs and along with everything else, is this real sense that like. One of the reasons why physical 
uh, formats have persisted the way they have is because they're 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 one of the few ways that an artist can make any sort of money themselves, right? From from the thing like streaming, in the in the way that we experience it for the most part, right? Like is not doesn't doesn't pay. You don't you can't you can't uh, you can't live on it unless you're a huge pop star. You know they always seem to manage to figure out how to live on whatever. But they're huge pop stars, right? They've got mass appeal working for them. But then but then the other thing that's so frustrating is that streaming is such a potentially revolutionary technology and when I think about what you guys are doing it seems to me like there's a much more imaginative way that we could think about streaming the same way that like the compact disc opened up experimental music in so many ways right because then pieces could just be continuous. You don't have to turn the the tape over. You don't have to turn the 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 you know the the record. In the same way that that change in format opened things up, streaming could feasibly right uh, loosen restrictions even more. And and it's frustrating that so much of the conversation about streaming has had to be focused on its drawbacks, right? Because like what you're doing. I think is a way that uh, of you, you have a what you're doing is demonstrating the generative possibilities or the imaginative possibilities of what streaming could do. Removed from all of the hard costs and removed from all of the essentially the the just the 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 long slog that is getting something put out, you know. Um, I don't know. So I, I find that I find that super interesting, and it makes sense coming from a more traditional label that you didn't view. You, you guys don't really view long forms at long form as a label, right? I mean, that's 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 part of it. That was day one. Yeah. Yeah, that was day one. I mean, just to expand on what you're saying, I completely agree. And we also just wanted whether you call it a label or a series. I mean, I've got a, a mate who's a subscriber and. And he said, this is a great label. And I said, oh, I actually don't call it a label. He's like, why not? It's everything I've ever wanted from a label. <laughs> Which is cool, you know, and that's nice. And we're not really kind of hardwired about it. If, you know, somebody wants to call it a label, that's fine. And in a lot of ways it behaves in, in the same way as, as a label that you might expect has, you know, particular formats and ideas and ways of releasing music. But I think that also from day one, we just wanted accessibility a lot of this music is challenging. It's thought-provoking and we hope that it's stimulating, but we're hopefully allowing people to enter that space without feeling like they're looking in from the outside. Uh, mm -hmm. Accessibility, you, you can listen to it for absolutely nothing if that's your choice. There's an option to, to buy pieces, but it's still at a reasonable price. And you have an option to subscribe. So if this is the kind of art that you want to follow on a regular basis, you can do that for a subscription or you can just mm -hmm. dip in and out whenever you like. So it's all about accessibility. And I think that plays into what you're talking about with streaming, having that opportunity to offer accessibility, but the way streaming services are mapped out, especially through algorithms and the, the corporate mindset attached to them, you kind of get just served up the same stuff that, that, existed previous to that and a lot of what streaming services offer through their algorithms is back catalog as Damon Krakowski has been recently pointing out in his amazing work. So I think that accessibility is really important and 
Um, we're not against physical product. I'm going to a record fair after <laughs> we're done here today, and I'm hoping oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I come out with a shelf as big as yours. But I think that, you know, we Mark and I grew up with culture for us was passed through us through physical objects. Of course, but, yeah. But I think things have changed, and I do think that a lot of artists do have that as attachment. They grew up with that physical product, so their art seems to need that gold-plated standard of being out on a record. But what we've done here is just said to people, this doesn't have to be your main body of work, but it can be a really interesting, exciting piece of work that we'll want to make accessible to people and hopefully do something for you on an artistic level. We always say that this is about artistic pursuit. It's not really about money. Um, People do get paid, but it's not going to, to pay their rent for the next year. Um, but at the same time, um, it, it's out there, you know, and it's people are being heard. That's it. It's creating the opportunity for it to be heard. And I, I think, yeah, like the, the, the issues, it's, there's a complex set of really minute issues at play throughout this whole thing, but there's always the kind of core idea of, like you were saying, that the streaming doesn't really pay very well and there's these models set up, but the bottom line is that streaming's not going away. And streaming is the future of music now. And the, those those physical formats are now a nostalgic past. And we all still love them. And, yeah, Andrew and I really love them. But And we made them, we spent money on them, we still buy them. But of they, are, they are a nostalgic past. And it's really easy to get caught in that nostalgic, not nostalgic, maybe that's a harsh word, but it's, it's easy to get caught in that loop of kind of hanging on to things that might be or that were and and not keeping an eye on what is happening right before us. And for me, it's about having one eye on the future, firmly on the future and admitting what's actually happening here and that streaming is here to stay and that this this kind of way of sharing information and art is not going to go anywhere. And it, it's right. up to people like us to get in on it and try to change it before it's too late. So if we stand back and let Apple and Spotify run the show, nothing's ever going to change. You know, they're going to, right. the algorithm's going to drive what people hear and it's just going to get worse. But if we can stand up and build something like long-form editions and other people will take that baton and do it as well, then we start to affect a little bit of change. And hopefully that gives the, the artists some agency in this because all we're trying to do is give all these artists a platform where they can actually be heard, they can be discovered, and then their money will come through other means. I mean, we're not making them wealthy, as Andrew said, but hopefully just by growing their audience, we give them opportunities for them to have a life as an artist rather than to having to give it up. Well, it's, right. It, the, the, I think the inverse proportion of, you know, art and money, is, you know, this is always a disproportionate balance and and. You know, I understand that, I mean, music is labour, music is work, art is work, um, but I just think this offers a, an avenue that not just a sim- simply just a promotional vehicle, but, I mean, Jason, like how many how many times have you missed out on hearing a record because it was only available in an edition of 300 and, oh, yeah. and the label's decided it's not available digitally, it's not on Bandcamp, you can only buy it on vinyl because that's their standpoint and that's fine, but... You never get to hear the record, mm. you know. Well, they right. sell out in a day on Boomcat or Forced Exposure or something like that because there's only 
200, 300 copies. And it's like, you know, you've just missed out. And there are how many great records have you not heard? Well, yeah, right. Because right. they're just not available or they didn't fit the format. And so how are you going to find these records? You hear about them somehow. How are you going to hear them? Are you going to try and find them illegally? What are you going to do? And it just, for me, it's just slightly disappointing that um, that those exchanges can't be had by more people. And we're really hoping that long-form editions offers that. And that's what streaming offers, isn't it? It offers yeah. it to everybody. That's, and, and that's... I think that what you're saying is is really fascinating and uh, and 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 complex, right? Because we do have, we're always having a conversation um, as listeners, uh, but, but uh, a conversation with the past and some sort of conversation with the future. However, weirdly, I phrased that just now um, because we do have to we do have to think about like wh- wh- where is this going? What are we doing? One of the things I like the most about long form is to take William's piece, for example, right? William is an artist who who works in uh, William Tyler, um, who who makes sort of guitar based music for the most part and is um, somebody who's playing with uh, with a lot of um, uh, historical reference points or traditional reference points. Uh Something like his his piece for long form allows him to take this other side of his of of what he's interested in and and explore um, something that's that is uh, off off of that path and on a slightly different path, right? Uh, so what he did was he was running like an AM radio station through a like a uh, like a insane tape looper, I believe, if, if I if I have it right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and then uh, his the the EP that he has released since then, uh, New Vanitas or whatever, incorporates elements of what he was doing on that on that record into his quote unquote more more standard you know presentation or whatever. So that like op- that that opportunity to take an off ramp and to try something new and to do it in a in a format that is uh, expressly built for those kinds of experiments, which is what you've created. I mean, that's such an interesting and and uh, that's such an exciting possibility for an artist, right? Um, and to me, I- I'm glad that that exists. And I think that it helps open up our, our notions of, of what these things can be. And And while some of them are very challenging and some of them are very, you know, experimental, there's also a lot of uh, releases that are, uh, pleasurable in a more traditional sense as well, right? Like, but still, it's this extended idea. It's this idea of sitting with something for long enough to immer- to immerse yourself in it. And uh, streaming, along with most other internet-based things, of course we see, I don't know about you guys, but my attention span is just shot these days. You know, like, <laughs> I, I have the worst... I, I I had to write down in my notebook, you know, I have like, a, I keep like notebooks and, and journals so that I can remember what I have to do and all this other stuff. But I've like, have, I've been having to write down at the top of the page, do one thing at a time because, <laughs> because, right. I, because, it, because what used to just be the way you would do a thing, right, is like, well, I'm going to do this and then I'll be done with it and move on to the next thing. That notion is even starting to sort of like get weirded in our in our internet culture right because like you've always got 90 tabs open and you're always 
Yeah. Doing one thing. As well. Your phone is always interrupting you from the thing yeah. you're doing. So using so two screens I, at once. And, yeah, know. yeah. And I mean, there's obviously there's a part of me that thinks, well, shit, man, maybe like we're going to evolve into these kinds of like complex creatures that that's just the way we do everything. We're always doing nine things at once or whatever. But I'm sure, will it be very productive if that's our future? Though? It it doesn't seem like it, right? Because I can't my get anything brother. done. You know, um, that's generally my ongoing complaint is that I need I need some space to concentrate. Can you just turn down the buzz for a while you know yes yes so i love that you're i love that you're using the tools right of of the age but you are still uh uh um you're you're still uh promoting this idea of like sit down with a thing and give it time to do whatever it might do you might be surprised by what it does you know it might not do what you think you might not do what you think it's gonna do but I wondered if you guys could tell me about where your interest started in that kind of immersive listening, deep listening, if you want to use the sort of term that often gets gets thrown around. How, how did that sort of, you know, gets, where did you find your, your way into that that notion? Oh, for me, it was Eliane Radiz. Hmm. I was the music director at a community radio station, which is kind of like a cross between your public radio and your college radio in the United States. Um, and... You know, as per all of these stations, they they do a regular chuck out of stuff that they don't see as necessary being in their library. And there was this really fascinating three CD set from Eliane Bedig, Trilogy de la Mort, and I'm like, wow, Trilogy of the Dead. Hey, my French comes good. I'm taking this home. Yeah. Uh, just to see what it's like because I was like, three CDs, that's pretty serious. And, and <laughs> um uh, you know, like I, I won't say it wasn't music that that was completely foreign to me, but it was the most extreme version of of what I'd been getting into. I mean, I'd been starting to get more into, you know, generated, you know, a, a lot of listening out of uh, indie rock, which is where Mark and I met. We met through indie rock circles in Sydney, and then we were starting to get interested in your post rock, you know, and then fusions and tortoise and. C and Cake and all those kinds of bands that were mixing it up. Next, um, baby, don't forget the next. The next, yes, and the next mm. were <laughs> one of the most incredible bands in that space. I mean, um, I, I was seeing bands like the next when they were playing in Sandstone Cottages to thirty people yeah. a long time yeah. ago. Um, but I didn't really see them as being in the same space, to be honest. I just thought of, saw them as playing sort of long jazz, if you like. But, that's, but yeah, you could argue that it's an Australian problem as much as it is anything else. Certainly, we yeah. never see ourselves the way that we see others. Sure, that's an Australianism. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I took this Redig CD home and um, I just put it on one night, and I just could not switch it off. Mm. I also could not give myself the option to do anything else, and mm. I thought this is incredibly transfixing. I don't exactly know why but i've it's actually music that i've kept going back to for various reasons i mean i listen to a long form editions piece in the morning every morning it's like a ritual it's like someone does their yoga or i do my long form when i'm at the desk because it just shapes me for the rest of the day it just makes me realize that i've got to kind of sit down and think enough for me to be able to be productive and have the energy that i need to get through the day um and I mean, that's one use of it. But yeah, I just started listening to longer pieces 
of singular focus. I just started getting more and more into that world. And when Mark and I were sort of talking about our next steps, our lives were changing, you know, uh, I started a family and, you know, Mark's business was getting really big and he's really busy with work and all these factors that we've mentioned earlier, you know, the promotion, the distribution, the mechanicals, the shipping, all that sort of stuff, we just wanted them to suddenly become immaterial factors, not essential factors to doing what we wanted to do. We wanted to be able to get back to the music. And I, I felt like we, to get back to the music, we, we, to be nimble and responsive and to be quick, we needed to have a digital only output. But secondly, to have substance and a defiant, sorry, I shouldn't say defiant, but a definitive standpoint in that world, I just was like, we should explore this kind of long-form idea. I think the time issue is amazing. And what Andrew raises there about being quick, it, it's, it's such a freeing kind of yeah. incredible thing for us because it used to take us a year to get to market. You know, you right. make a record and you go through all the processes it takes to get it to market. And now we're talking a couple of months. And yeah, it, yeah, we can be really responsive in that space. An artist makes something, and the public hears it, and it, it, and you just keep moving, and it's a little call and response because then the public respond, and then you keep coming back, and and it's it's kind of more visceral. It's it's not so protracted. Some of it becomes art of its time. I mean, nobody anticipated the pandemic, but from our tiny viewpoint, we got a lot of music through that time that was very much focused on isolation and feelings in response to lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, Imagining new spaces, uh, pieces that were about hope, you know, and environmental surroundings kind of didn't figure as much as the surroundings of your own headspace. And people really responded to that because they were in the same bag as well. And I think that, uh, we were in a very fortunate position with our model to to have that response, and people people really got into that music at that time. And funnily enough, the pandemic was where long form editions started to gain a little bit more traction, just because people had more time yeah. to, <laughs> to, to hey, dig in. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you know what? S- same with same with Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. The pandemic was. What allowed me the uh, um, allowed me to start doing it on a weekly basis, you know, which was really, really essential in terms of establishing a, you know, a rapport with the audience and a sort of like reliability that people wanted these things and people found themselves with much more with much more time. And I think we all started to recognize the pandemic, you know, for all of its uh, attendant sadness and tragedy, and like we can't understate the immense immensity of of that tragedy, you know. Um, I think it did help people to start playing with their notions of time and understanding the way that these things are, are malleable, right? And I think that like what long form does as well is is give you an opportunity to explore that. I, I, I meditate, you know, um, and I do find that the longer I've done it, you know, the more I um the more I recognize like uh meditating for, for 20 minutes, like in the kind of uh, headspace that I previously alluded to about like being online or being on Twitter, 20 minutes in a meditation compared to 20 minutes in, in on Twitter 
the difference is 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 shocking, right? <laughs> twenty minute, yeah. <laughs> tw- twenty minute, twenty minutes feels like so long, especially when I first started, right? You know, and it, and it, and there are still times where it does, right? Because you're just sitting there, and then all of a sudden you're thinking of all the things you should be doing, or could be doing, or might need to do, or who knows. Versus, you know, twenty minutes online where you're barraged with a gajillion things for twenty minutes. And it feels like no time has passed, right? So I think that these notions and these concepts are very malleable. And I'm very interested in art that allows us to um, experiment with our sense of time, right? Which I think is really key to what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that um, the other aspect to that and the digital-only output was that we really wanted this music to be in any space that you wanted it to be in. Mm. Yeah. Once again, yeah. going back to that sort of 300, 400, 500 copies only, the physical format, right? that kind of hems you into listening to this music in your rarefied space of your bedroom or lounge room or what have you, where you're kind of locked into that exchange only. And what if, what if you had took a walk with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Carlos Nino track or the William... Tyler track that you mentioned, like it, this kind of music as it slowly incrementally changes, I think that it just can sharpen and redefine focus for you as well, just as any amazing piece of art will. You know, if you go into an art gallery and see an abstract painting, if you stare at it for long enough, it will, it will, I think, change you in some way. I think it will affect you in some way. What do you think, Mark? Well, that's where I come from. I've, I've spent the greater part of my life working in the arts. I work with galleries and museums and, um, and I, you know, in parallel to running a record label for 20, 15 years, 20 years ago. But I, I guess that I, I've spent so long working in the visual arts and being moved and, know, and under, you know, forming an understanding to how that can move you and how that can change you and the amount of time you can spend in that space that you, you know, I can easily go to a museum and sit in front of a painting for an hour and I can give myself that time. Right. But it was frustrating me working in, in, in a, you know, running a record label, trying to release experimental music, that there was no space for music that was like mm. a gallery and that music was treated as entertainment and, and that we call them artists. We, we don't treat them like artists. And that, that for me is the big crime. And that in, the, in the visual arts world, when you get called an artist, you get given space, you get given grace. And in the music industry, when you get called an artist, you get given parameters and deadlines. And, and um, yeah. there's not a lot of yeah. space, there's not a lot of space. And you get fed through an algorithm and you get fed through radio systems and, and video, you know, uh, vi- music video system and if you're not cool enough you don't make the cut then you don't get heard and that's heartbreaking for me and going into this when Andrew called me about long form editions it was his idea this kind of the, the egg was his egg and I just went why wow, you've you've cracked it like you've actually invented the thing that I wished we had that I always yeah. wished we had the one thing that I always saw that we were missing is that kind of art gallery for music and that we've never had. And I went, well, that's it. We've, we've got it. You know, that we're going to make this art gallery for music. And I just need to say that um, I think what really, to me at least, makes the project special is 
the artists have really made this scene. Like, oh, it always about the artists, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> further to what Mark's talking about, it, it's, it amazes me that everybody that said yes, you know, there have been only a couple of pieces that were already previously recorded, but they fit and they were good and maybe they were recorded and people didn't have an idea of what to do with them because they were 30 minutes long or, or something like that. But most people have actually created something specifically for the series. We've given them the same piece of information that we've given everyone from the start. We've said to them, here's the idea. This is what we are hoping to achieve. And just no one's just no one's phoned it in. And mm. so I think that really what has created the substance for this is everything that we're talking about, you've, you've still got to have the art to make it work. Yeah, you know, we provide the gallery space, but it's up to the artist to fill it. And they, right. uh, we, just, we just sit back and watch them fill it. Like, and, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you look at William Tyler, you mentioned his piece, and I've been talking to William for a while, and I think he was a little bit stumped as to what he was going to do. And, of course, I approached William because he's, you know, a great guitar player, and you've mentioned that he's been getting more atmospheric in his work. And I saw that space in his work and I thought he would just offer something if he just, you know, he just really cracked the whole idea open as a guitar player, which is what I was keen on. Daddy Paul Brody did it first and uh, yeah. this is beautiful and also kind of expansive and deep. But I wanted to see what William could do and he was really interested, but he just kept putting it off. And then he wrote to me and he said, I've got an idea. I was like, I actually didn't think it was going to happen because he just kept putting it off, uh, getting busy and so forth. And he went, I've got an idea. And, and I was like, yeah, cool. And he said, no guitar. And I was like, <laughs> for some people, because we, I approached him because he's a guitarist, as I said. But, sure. but also we do say to people, if this is something you'd like to, to try something different with, then here's your chance. And he said, no guitar. And I was like, part, one side of the coin was, oh, okay, I asked him as a guitarist, but then he doesn't want to do guitar. Ooh, okay, what's he going to do? And he delivered this piece. It's like this, as you know, it's like this Lynchian, crazy AM radio signal atmospheric yeah. piece that just, it just creates its own space. Um, he just made it work. He wasn't just tossing around with pedals and an AM radio signal. He's like holed up in a cabin. He's working on some stuff and he had this idea and he just sat down for a couple of days and made it work. And, and that is just why I think we've, we've been able to have such um, great music is because of the artists who have really taken to this idea. So it's, it's great that it works for both sides, if you like. Well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask. I think you. I think you already might have um, might have answered this question. You know, I always write a few spicy questions in the mix, and I was gonna say, have you ever, have you ever felt the need to reject an artist's work? Um, uh, not, n you know, not asking you guys to name any names, but has anybody ever turned in a, a piece where you were like, I don't think this ultimately does what we're aiming to do? Uh, we've had quite a few submissions now that we just felt doesn't quite fit into the wheelhouse. I think, mm -hmm. I think, um, I don't want to sound unfair, but I, I think that uh, one of the misconceptions about long form editions is that it's just about long pieces of music. 
But mm. it, is, it is more than that. Um, mm. I, everybody that we've asked, we have released their pieces. Um, there may have been an instance or two where they've changed their mind and wanted to give something else, and mm. we've, we've gone with that. But I'd have to actually scroll the, the catalogue yeah. um, <laughs> and think about it. But I don't, think that, I don't think that we've actually knocked anyone's pieces back that we've asked them because we've had that exchange, we've had that conversation, they, they've sort of had a look at, at everything and they're really into it. I mean, there have been some like... Uh, Michael Vincent Waller, beautiful oh. solo minimal piano piece, which I know is one of Mark's favourites. Um, he said, oh, here's a sketch of what I'm thinking of doing. And I listened to it and I was like, that is a little bit more than a sketch, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But he thought about it and thought about it and he kept sort of circling back to this piece and he just went, you know what, how would you feel if I gave you this piece? Like if we just had it as it is, I think Michael's a perfectionist and there might be something at the end that he's not completely 100% happy with. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, studied with one of Morton Feldman's main protégés, so precision is is really what he's about. And, sure. Um, and he let, it, he let it happen and it's a beautiful piece of music and um, I kept going back there as well. I was like, I don't know what else... What else is going to top this for you, Michael, in this space? It's really beautiful, you know. Um, but, yeah. yeah, we do get a lot of submissions that don't quite make the mark and we 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 get submissions from people and we always want to give them a fair shake and we also want to encourage them to to to, to send something else. Um, yeah. we've, we've had plenty of go-rounds where we've had someone submit for a second time and the piece is great. And the yeah. first piece, for some reason, just didn't quite fit the wheelhouse. And it's hard to exactly say why. I mean, it's it's really not just a matter of whether it's good or bad. It's just, like I said early on, it's just we follow our noses and if something doesn't feel right for whatever reason, we don't dissect and analyse it. We just feel like we know and we, yeah. we move on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, that's something that I also find is so interesting about what you're doing because streaming is uh, more or less dominated. Um, uh, people can create their own playlists, right, like individual users and share those, and that's a great accessibility point. That's my favorite thing about streaming, actually, is that you know you can make a mixtape, essentially, for somebody and send it to them, and almost anybody can hear it. But very often... Uh, our relationship with streaming uh, is mediated by algorithms, as you've mentioned, right? So there is no algorithmic sense to what long form is doing. And that's that's the beauty of it, right? It's like an anti-algorithm. Um, but I was thinking about it in terms of, well, you guys aren't a traditional label. There is an aspect of, of, of a curatorial approach, right? Uh, Mark, when it comes to the art, I mean, you, you, you have a very specific way you generate all the art. And each of the, <laughs> does the, does the oh, art, just quite <laughs> <specific>. <laughs> does the, and, and so the art, uh, does the art change by, uh, does the sort of uh, uh, art style change by year? Uh, uh, it, it, it varied a little bit, but we're starting, okay. to, we're starting to hit a little bit of a pattern. At first, we, we didn't really know. We just sort of started and we weren't sure how often it would change. I think I'm just looking through the catalogue here and we did four editions with the first art and then another four editions with the second art, another four with the third art, two with the fourth, 
Yeah. Three with the fifth. Three. <laughs> now we're in these pattern of threes, and I think we decided that it was a pattern of threes at some point. Yeah, we just which decided, isn't even yeah. a year. It's not even a year. Yeah. Three editions. Yeah. It just okay. felt like that's when it gets exhausted. I think was just tonally. Again, it's like we're following our noses, but tonally, we. It feels like that's probably when the idea is up. You know, when it's well, it's run its course and enough's enough. You make twelve yeah. with that with that idea and then you you make a new idea. Although they're all essentially the same idea, just different executions of that idea. What what I'd love to hear about how how you sort of devised the 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 process itself because well, they're, they're, it's it, yeah they're very much my own process that has existed for about 20 years um mm. where i make because i make typefaces one part of my practices is that i make typefaces i make fonts and i have a company that sells typefaces but i and you know they they have requirements they need to be legible their language but i also have an experimental end to that practice mm. where i experiment with the limits of language constantly and I'm constantly redrawing type faces within and outside of the limits of language. So I, by experimenting with those boundaries of language as an artist, I'm teaching myself how I can make better typefaces, much like a musician would when they're experimenting with the, with the limits of, of music and their own practice. They're teaching themselves how to be better. I believe that experimentation is is crucial in any art practice. Without it, you're not going to you're not going to sort of progress. You know, you're going to you're going to stagnate and stand still. So these pieces that I use on the long form editions covers, they're all typefaces that I've made as a part of that experimental practice. And there, this is a way for me to to use them, but it's also a way, a way for me to visibly talk about what's happening musically. It's yeah. And the beautiful thing is, again, it's a response to, it's partly anyway a response to um, the streaming platforms because all of the streaming systems we use now have clear typography under the little square that we now call the cover. So you have a little JPEG that's called a cover. Um, it's just a little square. And <laughs> under that on any service, be it Bandcamp or Spotify, is the title. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to be clear on that square anymore. You don't need to tell a story on that square anymore. That, those That's days, right. Those days are gone. You're not trying to sell anything. You're not in a store. You're not trying to allure a $30 record sale. And you're not trying to communicate the artist's name and all those things. And in our case, we don't want to talk about what they look like. We don't want to talk about, you know, anybody's identity because that pulls you away from the music. And you, right. if you want to get down to the pure art of it, then you you want to remove, not remove the artist's identity. That's the wrong thing to say. That's absolutely wrong. But you want to you want to essentially make all the artists equal. That's my right. I want to make everybody yeah. equal. Nobody gets any different treatment to anybody else. Everybody gets the same size, the same space, the same treatment. So nobody is greater. And when some legend comes along and gets released through this system. They don't get special treatment. It's not like they're in a record label and everybody rolls out the red carpet and they get a special edition with the gatefold. No, there's none of that. So it, it's a, it, the, the record covers are a, they are a practice of experimentation personally for me, but like I said, they also talk about the experimentation that's happening within the sound, but they're also a moment of egalitarianism, you know. Yeah. 
There, yeah. are, there are moments of equality where everybody gets the same abstraction. It unifies everyone in the space. Uh, yeah. We, we needed, when we were decided that we needed to, to have a responsive label that had four editions, uh, four pieces per edition, we basically needed a, a, an artwork uh, system to be able to cope with that. Otherwise, we'd be getting, once again, bogged down in that exchange and right. having to make covers. You know, it's more right. mechanical. You don't want to be bogged down in mechanical. And so Mark and I talked about that. I mean, Mark and I had a, another series um, when we were running Preservation that, that had a, a similar thought process there, and we just thought that there was more to explore there and it would make things really easy for us but also make us really stand out. I mean, I, I think they're incredible works and, and people love it. People, we, When we announced the new works and we, we put out the new system, People just love it, you know. They just they get into it. They're like, "Oh, what's next?" You know, they know it's going to be abstract. They know it's supposed to say something, and they just look at them and um, they they love them. But it basically, as Mark says, it it, it doesn't put one person above the other. Um, yeah, and it, it just keeps everything fair so that there's so everybody understands where where they sit in the whole spectrum of of things. It also removes the, the language from it. I mean, the language is always there, as we said. It's always underneath the square. But, you know, if you have a release from an unknown artist and a release from a known artist and you put in big type on your cover those two names, then the known artist gets all the attention immediately because their names are big, they're big names and lights, you know. And Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's the abstraction. It essentially kind of abstract who, abstracts who's, who's known and who's not as well. And that's really powerful, but also is a massive time saver. You know, <laughs> it, I love, I love, I love, I love, <laughs> I love how much, how much, like, there's a, t you know, I, I, I uh, recognize like this incredible experimental and adventurous quality to to these releases, and and often um, just like so much depth and beauty in what's happening. But I love how much of the uh, sort of like framework around it is essentially two guys who have been doing this shit forever going like we got to figure out a way to make all the shitty parts go away go and away. just have a good thing happen yeah that and was what, it. and what's <laughs> and what's so funny is that you realize right like that if you have an actual aim and you have an actual decisive purpose right that that's what you 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 long for more than anything else is make everything that's not that fall away so that we can focus in yeah. on what yeah. it, what we, it is we just wanted to be able to keep going because we were unhappy of course. At the end, weren't we yeah. we were we were kind of we, we reached a point and, where we're like we don't want to do so distributors burned dying, out distributors saying oh we, we will press your thing on press your thing on vinyl and then four months later saying oh we've decided we're not going to press it on vinyl we just crushed an artist's art uh you know <laughs> um you know people saying that they were going to write reviews reviews didn't happen we needed to to just basically release stuff and release stuff in a way that we could That's right. create some substance with and some meaning with and still within the same musical sphere that we love and have loved working in. But, uh, I mean, I got an email yesterday from a guy who has been running a well-known label for 25 years and we talk quite regularly. I met him when he came out to Australia quite some time ago. He also has a radio show and I send him the pieces from long-form editions for him to play on his radio show and... I said, you know, how's it going? What's what's coming up for your label? And and he said, oh, you know, we're just 
bogged down. He said he didn't even name anything that was coming out. He just said, I really envy you not having to deal with vinyl. And we didn't start the label for that reason. I kind of did, though. <laughs> <laughs> kind well, of. We, yeah, we yeah, sort yeah. of. I mean, we, I just wanted the opportunity just to keep doing stuff whenever we wanted to. You know, but, it wasn't yeah. about, wasn't it like, I mean, one of the things I will say is that if an artist approaches us and says, I've got a label that wants to release this piece on vinyl, we say, sure, no problem. Like yeah. we don't have, it's not, we're not trying to be. We're not in the way. Pure. We're not going to try and get in the way. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just kind of currently what's going on with, with these delays and so forth. Yeah. He, he, I just felt sorry for the guy. And it's like, it's, it's very, a very unintended outcome of what we're doing is the fact that um, people are turning to us a little bit more while they're waiting for their vinyl release of something they pre-ordered 10 months ago to come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And I love the, the, the simplicity and the directness, the sort of samurai-esque quality, right. Of cutting (laughs) through the BS. Um, It has been, it's been so much fun talking with you guys. Um, I, I, as a sort of a closer, I have uh, what's uh, undoubtedly a daunting question that I'm sure will uh, cause both of you to cringe. But if somebody comes to you and they're like, "Where do where do I start uh, with the catalog?" You know, because uh, it, it can seem daunting from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. How do you how do you how do you guide how do you guide those folks? I usually ask people what kind of music they enjoy normally. Mm. and then try and find a branch of the tree from there. So if someone's coming in completely cold, uh, I will recommend something like, uh, uh, actually recently somebody was telling me just how much they were getting into craft work. Mm. So I pointed them in the direction of uh, Norm Chambers' piece and I pointed them in the direction of Raina Russell's piece uh, mm. because they, they feel rooted in that modular synth world, beautiful repetition, melody, patterns, tones, just getting lost in a, a mingle of sounds that come together in, in a way that kind of lifts your brain up a little bit um, and just also just keeps you held in this one spot in a sort of magnetising way. I just kind of, I mean, the whole thing is about listening. So... You know, if someone right. comes to me and say, says, what should I listen to? I need to listen to them first before mm. I recommend anything. Um, and we find that um, some people, like we released a piece from Ephraim Manuel Menick uh, recently, and a lot of fans, I think, bought that piece because of who he is and he's got quite a fan base. But if you have a look at the, the records, you'll find that, that that's the only piece they've ever bought. And that's mm. fine. I mean, it, it's just a different spin on on what he does and a different offering for them. And so people opt in and opt out. But, yeah, I, I just think that um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend any one piece that is definitive of what we do because we we are trying, just as Mark has done with his artwork, to offer uh, as many different perspectives on an idea Every couple of months, you know, I want more. <laughs> yeah, I, I just crave the breadth. Like I get excited when when it gets wider. I, I, yeah, I just yeah. want it to be wider and wider and wider every time we put an addition through. Like it, you know, like 
just want more and more kind of musicians to understand that this is something they can use and and, and yeah. it's not a genre based thing it doesn't because it you know because it's meditative or it's long or it's it's deep listening it doesn't mean that it's bound up in in the traditional mediums that have come through those sources mm. so yeah you could be a heavy metal drummer and you can make a piece within this space and that's fine and we want to hear it you know like it's i just find that width really interesting really exciting yeah, yeah. i mean we've been called an ambient label quite a lot and i i you know i don't balk at the term ambient it's a good catch-all for a lot of things but it was never the intention was it yeah we never really we're not we're not just an ambient label uh i mean there are plenty of pieces that i that i would point to that that show that but i yeah. think i think that's an easy press grab as well and that's fine but um yeah it's 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 there's there's a lot to offer there so once again it's like walking into that gallery space spending the time walking around i had a look at things and i was really drawn by these pieces these ones not so much but i sure. really like these ones and and that's what i love about going to the art gallery i'm going to see a whole bunch of different things and i'll appreciate that they're all art i'll appreciate they're not all for me but i'll walk away with just uh, you know that feeling that you get when you see a piece of art and it kind of even if it's just for a moment it just changes you in some way and ultimately it's up to the visitor to find their own way through it yeah yeah that's awesome. Well, to close, are there any specific heavy metal drummers who we should implore? Uh, we they, they're probably listening to the podcast. Lars right Ulrich, Lars Ulrich, if you're listening, mate, yeah, we're we here. Want, we want Lars. Definitely. We're here, and Rick Allen. Although, would you, you call Def Leppard heavy metal anymore? I don't know, I don't know. but I don't know. We're, we're probably, you're probably going to get a lot of comments in your inbox for that one, Jason. Uh, but um, we got close. We got close with Greg Fox. I mean, if you listen to his piece, Stone a great Club, piece. Like, Right that at the end, he, that, he did some mad double kicks. Yeah, yeah. That that's that was a wild, wild ride. Yeah, <laughs> and such a fascinating dude. So, all right. Well, Lars has his uh, his homework, and uh, <laughs> uh, guys, Mark, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to to hang out with me and talk about this stuff. It's been an absolute blast. And, and thank you. Um, yeah. You know, it's just so nice when we hear from people on the other side of the world who really enjoy what we're doing. And Australia sometimes is Mark earlier mentioned there is a tyranny of distance and uh it's really nice to be able to reach people on the other side of the world with with uh what we're doing and and that it's appreciated and it it's nice Arcaning, numerical insufflating sound exercises musical time signature six eight Align with breathing. Inhale. Exhale. One. Inhale. Exhale. Two. Inhale. Exhale. Three. Inhale. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. You can support this podcast by checking out Aquarium Drunkard's Patreon page. Help us keep an independent media thing going if you are into it. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the program. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. And our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard founder. We are a part of the Talk House Podcast Network. 
Hey, Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard returns Sunday, June 19th from 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific time on DubLab. That's four hours of freeform weirdo radio. It features my show, Range and Basin, plus Chad De Pasquale's new Happy Gathering and Tyler Wilcox's always essential Doom and Gloom from the Tomb. This month, we're joined by special guest Jocelyn Romo. Do tune in. And of course, consider leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to click subscribe so you never miss an episode. Next week on the show, I'm hosting a post-punk roundtable with Mark Stewart of The Pop Group, Stephen Mallinder of Calvary Voltaire, and Eric Random, ex-Buzzcock and one-time Nico Sideman. This talk was pretty wild. I hope you'll join us. All right, be safe until next week. This transmission is concluded.